Um, our sermon text this morning uh, is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. It's in, in 836, page 836 of your few Bibles. So let us read God's Word once again. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is God's good word for us this morning. You may be seated. Well, as we've already talked about, despite what your bulletin says, I am not Reverend Brad Hanson. Um, and uh, we've talked about his health problems, and I uh, would ask that you would continue to pray for him. Um, and if you know him, give him a call. Um, he he uh, is in isolation in the COVID ward. Not even, not even his wife Nancy can visit him. Uh, and so, um, having been there recently... Um, I know what that isolation can do to you. So if, if you know Brad, if you want to give him a call, he'd love to hear from you. Well, as some of you may know, I'm involved with the missions team at Harlan, and every January is our <clears throat> is our missions month. Uh, this year is no different. Um, it's a little bit different, though. We've added an emphasis on outreach and evangelism this year. Uh, so when I, you know, when Brad took ill and I volunteered to take his place and saw the sermon text that we would be using this morning, I, I, I got excited because Mark's gospel is exactly about the gospel. It's about spreading the gospel. Mark, more than any other three gospels, it's the shortest gospel, you probably knew that, uh, but, but within his gospel is an urgency, an immediacy, an excitement about the gospel. It's almost like I can't wait to tell you. Um, I know we've just been recently, uh, we've been in the book of Mark here, um, so we've been through Mark chapter 1. I don't know, it's been several months ago, but there's always something new to learn in God's Word, isn't there? Um, if you're a math nerd and you know what a fractal is, a fractal is a mathematical construct that no matter how much accuracy you put to it, there's more detail to find. And that's what God's Word is like for us. It's a finite book, right? 
but it's got God's infinite word inside of it uh, as, as he chooses to illumine and bring us understanding in our hearts. So let's pray and look for that um, in these first few verses in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel. Let's dive in. I split the text into three pieces. Um, I don't know if there's some seminary rule that we're supposed to do that, but I've never been to seminary, but it seems to make sense. Uh, in this particular case, verse 1 I call the amazing proclamation. Verses 2 through 8 describe the arrival long foretold. And verses 9 through 15 are the beginning of the victory. So we'll go through these. Verse 1, the amazing proclamation. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, verse 1 is a short verse and a short gospel, but let's not, let's not skip over it too quickly because the whole gospel is here. The whole gospel is in verse 1. Let's unpack it. The word gospel itself, what does gospel mean? Well, back in these days, gospel meant good news. Uh, it wasn't necessarily about any particular piece of good news. It would be the thing the town crier would come up and say, I've got, you know, we've got a new emperor. I have good news. I have gospel. Um, we've actually appropriated it, haven't we? There's not a place on the planet, really, where gospel doesn't mean Jesus Christ. Um, the reason I mention that is because uh, we've seen several of our words in our English language appropriated and used for different ways. I, and maybe that frustrates you. Sometimes it frustrates me. But, you know, we started it. So it's our fault. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but words are always getting new meanings. began a long time ago. There's nothing new about that. And, uh, and we can be thankful for it because when we, not, when we now say the gospel, everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, the gospel of Jesus. Who, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the name of a man. Uh, Jesus and Joshua in the scriptures in the original text is the same word. And, and although we have few people named Jesus these days, uh, we hear Joshua all the time. I actually did. I mean, we, we do hear Jesus. I had a colleague back when I was in my 20s. He was Hispanic and his name was Jesus. Um, but I had to take a message from my, my office mate from Jesus one time. And so what I wrote down was, hey, Jesus called. Um, he knew what I was talking about. Anyway, uh, but it's equivalent to Joshua. It's the name of a man. Now, it does have a meaning. Joshua means God rescues or God saves. And Gabriel unpacked that a bit, right, uh, in one of the other Gospels, saying, for he will save the people from their sins. So here we've got an ordinary name with an ordinary meaning that now has an extraordinary person attached to it. Um, Christ, Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, the leader whom Moses prophesied many hundreds of years ago in Deuteronomy, the suffering servant in Isaiah, who would be crushed for our iniquities. That is who the people were looking for, the Messiah. They weren't looking for the Messiah that, that is Jesus, but they were looking for someone whom God would send to them. So it's not, it's not a little thing that Jesus began calling, uh, being called the Messiah or the Christ. And then finally, Son of God. This is not just a man. This is not just a prophet. This is the Lord of God. Um, and God's long foretold uh, prophecy that He would rescue His people. Now totally revealed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And lastly, which was actually how the book begins, the beginning. Now what did Mark mean by the beginning? Could have been the beginning of my account of Jesus. But I think it's more probable with the beginning of Jesus' arrival. 
on the scene of on the scene of history as the man Jesus, as the Christ, as the Son of God. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that story continues today. Have you ever thought about that? In fact, here's something that might blow your circuits. Do you realize that all of history is about God telling us about His Son? All of history. And that the bearers of the gospel to our lost and dying world that we live in is the most important thing in history. We are doing the most important thing in all of history when we proclaim the good news. Um, if you're a movie aficionado, well, you'd have to be one of many years ago. But uh, who's, who's seen the movie Contact? Okay, that's too bad. <laughs> if, if, I got the DVD if you want to watch it. It's, it's a good movie. Um, it, it, it was written by Carl Sagan, who was a famous astrophysicist, um, who, who always had very interesting takes on, um, on, on science. Um, although I think he was an atheist, he would, always, he would always throw things about faith and about things that are unexpected. Uh, when the first pictures of Mars came down, and it was a lifeless world. And he said, well, you don't know that there aren't cockroaches under those rocks. That's kind of the way his mind worked. Anyway, in this particular movie, there's, a, there's a, an astrophysicist named Eleanor Arroway, played by Jodie Foster. Um, and she's talking about contacting extraterrestrials. And she said it would be the most profoundly impactful moment for humanity for the history of history. And she was wrong. The gospel is that. That description belongs to the gospel. And when we share the gospel with others, we participate in that most profoundly impactful moment for humanity in the history of history. Well, we need to move on, otherwise we'll probably have to order in pizza. Um, <laughs> verses 2 through 8, the arrival long foretold. Mark doesn't cover Jesus' birth or childhood. We see that in some of the other gospels, but Mark just kind of skips over that. But he doesn't skip forward, he skips backward. He skips back 400 and 700 years ago. The, uh, the, the verses that we see in 2 and 3 are, are a prophecy from Isaiah, which was 700 years before, and a prophecy from Malachi, uh, which was 400 years before. Um, and he begins it by saying, Behold. Now, I love that word, but we don't use it very often. What does it mean? Um, it means something unexpected is about to happen. We'd probably say, Listen up. Listen up, because you're about to hear something you don't expect. So listen up. I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now it was certainly unexpected. There had been 400 years. 400 years of silence from God, from the time that Malachi wrote his book under the inspiration of the Spirit, until John the Baptist burst on the scene. What happened in our history? What was happening 400 years ago? Who knows? Who can... 2021, what was happening in kind of 16, 2021? Pilgrim's Land on Plymouth Rock. A long time ago. That's part of our ancient history as we would measure history as Americans. Can you imagine waiting 400 years for something? Uh, much less 700 years from Isaiah's prophecy. But Mark comes out and bang, listen up, the ancient words are coming true. And right after that, Mark is as you know, I'm sure noticed before, Mark is just event after event after event, and many times he uses the word immediately. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John the Baptist was that messenger that Malachi was talking about. 
and that Isaiah was talking about, the prophet that everybody was waiting for, preparing the way of the Lord by preaching what? Repentance. By the way, you struggle with what repentance means, kids, adults. Um, I heard a great definition of it. Um, I, I mean, there are many good definitions, but this one's pretty easy to remember. Repentance means I'm for what God is for, and I'm against what God is against. I like that because it's simple, and it's all about God. Well, let's talk about this baptism. Um, I think we need to spend a few moments on it, but not a whole lot of time. This baptism that John was practicing actually comes out of Mosaic Law. Okay, there is... Um, in, in, the, in the books of Moses um, that baptism was meant as a sign of washing away uncleanness, spiritual uncleanness, not just, not just dirt off the bodies. Um, and we don't have time to get into it, um, but I noted in passing, because we have baptisms in the church today, right? John's baptism and the baptism we practice in the body of Christ are really, they have similar elements, clearly. We're both using water. They have some similar meanings, but they're not the same baptism. Um, we can see evidence of that in the book of Acts. If you're interested, don't do it now, but in Acts 17 or 18 and 19, we can see John's baptism mentioned. And in Acts 19, we actually see John's baptism, the, the, the men that got John's baptism actually received baptism as believers as well. Um, uh, so that's probably the only instance you'll see of rebaptism. But but it is our Christian, what we call Christian or covenantal baptism is different. Um, and we see that a bit here in the text. It's kind of implied. Um, because the ancient prophecies were preparing for the way of the Lord. John translated that by saying, repent of your sins with washing being a sign of your repentance. But we don't see any evidence of conversion. We don't really see any evidence that the Jews that were washed by baptism were converted. Now that doesn't mean that their um, their repentance was not was not uh, heartfelt. Um, we'll see that a little bit later. Um, but for now, link, Mark linked the preparation that was called for in the prophets with the repenting of sin, and baptism was a sign of that. Um, in other words, clean yourself up. The King is coming. Okay, so verse 5, um, and John did log on to Facebook and Instagram and invite all of Jerusalem and Judea into the countryside to hear it. Uh, no. What was it? What was it that spurred the people in this you know, age of really no communication that wasn't word of mouth or written down on a parchment or something? What was it that spurred all of Judea and all of Jerusalem, not every single man, woman, and child, but great multitudes, coming out into the middle of nowhere to hear John. Well, have you ever heard anything that was just too good not to share? You got into the school that you longed to be in, or maybe mom and dad just had a kid, or maybe you just leveled up in Mario Kart racing. Y'all still play Mario Kart racing? Is that still a thing? No. Whatever you're playing, you just leveled up. You're so excited, you've got to share it, right? I think that's what's going on here. The people were hearing him and going back and saying, well, look at Jesus. You remember in the book of John, Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. They talked for a while, and the woman has come way out to the well to get water. She doesn't even take the water back to the town. She runs back into town. What does she say? you got to see this guy. you got to listen to him. He sounds like a prophet of God. Which, of course, Jesus was so much more than just that. But that was the kind of excitement I think these people had. Um, so the people went out, and they heard, and they confessed, and they were baptized. Um, this word confess, um, 
just a little bit of Greek trivia. Uh, not that I know Greek, but I can read confession or uh, commentaries just like the rest of you. And and a commentary I was reading said this word confess that we see here um, is not just a yeah right. It's a it's a full confession. It's it's like what David poured his heart out in in Psalm 51. I am totally undone. The Lord cleanse me. Um, that's the kind of confession that these that, that John's message was generating in the people. Now, not all the people had that same kind of conviction. Uh, we don't see it in this gospel, but we see it in the other gospels where the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out. And they didn't come out and repent and believe. They came out and rejected. Um, and I think there's a lesson here for us to that today. Because John was sharing the good news, sharing that the good news was coming. And what happens when we share the good news? We get rejected, don't we? Um, there was a study done in UK in 2015, and it's very interesting. Um, it said that in the UK, and we can, we're, we're similar to the UK, but I mean the numbers will be a little bit different. Um, in the UK, two-thirds of the unbelievers, 67% of unbelievers, knew a Christian that they liked. They were in a relationship of some kind with a Christian that they liked. Now, that sounds great. Wow, two-thirds of the you know, unbelievers that we know, they may, that may, they like us. <laughs> That's good news, right? Um, but only really, tw of that number, only 20% really want to talk about Jesus. Only 20% would like to chat with you about Jesus. So as you go, if you go to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, would you like to have a look at the Bible? Would you like to talk to I mean, have you ever thought about what you... 80% rejection rate. You can count on an 80% rejection rate. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, but count on that. You're going to get rejected. Even as John's message to the Pharisees was rejected. The good news about that is there's 20% left. How many millions of people are in the United States? I didn't do the math. 300 million or something like that. Um, how many millions? 20% is millions of people right here in our backyard that want to have a chat about Jesus. Um, so as you talk about Jesus and you get no, 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 you will get a yes. Um, so be encouraged by that and be looking for that. And don't be looking at for it like a deer in the headlights. What do you mean yes? What do I say now? Be, be ready uh, and, be, and, and just uh, rejoice in that. Um, but, but think about that. I mean, who are the people in your neighborhood, in your school? Who are the people in your family um, or at your work that might be looking for you, knowing that you're a believer, to just bring him up. And I, you know, would you like to go to Easter service with me? We're going to have an Easter service here in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, now verse 6 gives us a description of John. It's kind of more or less the official costume of a prophet, uh, especially Elijah. You can look that up in Second Kings if you want to later. Um, and uh, and the food. How many want to eat locusts? Wild honey doesn't sound so bad, but locusts are that's kind of nasty. However, and I say that I've never had a locust, but that was actually a fairly common Middle Eastern um, food. Um, I'm sure they're crunchy. Other than that, who knows? Um, but that's what John ate. He ate. Uh, he the, the symbol being that he was not, and Jesus says in one of the other gospels, you know, you didn't go out to the desert to see, you know, a king, somebody that was, you know, richly dressed and eating sumptuously. No, you went out to see a prophet. 
and his dress, you know, also pointed him back to being the Elijah that was to come, that, that Malachi mentioned. Um, just kind of a wonderful way that, that, that God weaves together his prophecy and brings that prophecy to pass. So let's think about what, what's happened now. Mark has moved his readers from distant past to old prophecy all the way to an introduction of John the Baptist and what he looks like. Here is the prophet. Here is the messenger preparing the way of the Lord. And he preached. We get a front row seat, verses 7 and 8. He preached. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now this may have shocked John's hearers a lot more than it does us. Taking off sandals, uh, I mean, you can think about it. they didn't have asphalt or anything like that in those days. Uh, Open-toed shoes. How many of y'all have walked in sandals down a dusty road? What happens to your toes? They're pretty cakey, don't they? Um, taking off sandals was the work of the lowliest of the servant. Um, and he was a mighty prophet of God saying he wasn't even, he was lower than the lowliest servant of he who was to come after him. One commentary I was reading said, these words could hardly have expressed the idea of disparity in a stronger or more revolting matter. In other words, it was profoundly shocking to his hearers. And what does John next do? Now he's drawn a contrast between he who is to come and himself. And then in the next verse, he delivers another thunderbolt. By mentioning his baptism, now th these are people who have been baptized. They've been washed, you know, they've, they've, they've confessed their sins, they've demonstrated their repentance. And now they're told that doesn't even compare with what's coming. The Holy Spirit baptism that John now mentions is something that people just couldn't get their hands around. It was gonna, there was just no, no reference point. Um... Many years ago, my wife and I went on a trip to the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, you've probably seen this. Um, but you're approaching, right? You're, you know, winding roads, trees, kind of a rolling topography. But you have no idea. You have no idea what's coming. And then you get there, and it's breathtaking. Um, you're knocked clean out of your socks by the scale, by the weight. Um, it's, it, you, can't, you can't envision it until you see it. That's what John's saying here. You're about to see a Grand Canyon in the washing away of your sins. You know what that's like. There's something far more it's just over the horizon. <clears throat> and it was about to be revealed. Well, verses 9 through 15, the beginning of the victory. Let's reread verses 9 through 11. Because John set this up for us. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus arrives. He's suddenly there. And the first thing he does is he gets baptized. Now, why did Jesus get baptized? Have you ever thought about that? The people were coming to confess their sin and baptism was a sign of their repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent of. What was he doing? Um, if nothing else, 
He was identifying with you and me. He was identifying with his people. He was saying, I am a man just like you. I will be baptized just like you. Um, Paul said this in Galatians, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus identified publicly with us. He obeyed the law perfectly um, and, um, and demonstrated it. It was also a time, we don't see it again in Mark's Gospel, but we see it in other Gospels, um, that Jesus was proclaimed by John as that one who would come after him, and he called him, called him the Messiah, the Son of God. So let's, let's recap, what do we see? Jesus now identifies himself with mankind. He's been proclaimed as the Messiah, the one who would come after John. And finally, as if that weren't enough, the Spirit descends and, and, and kind of seals the deal, as it were, as the very Son of God. You are my beloved Son. You, I am well pleased. And so now, remember verse 1, we started with that description of Jesus, and now it's manifest in the desert in the Jordan River. And Jesus' ministry has begun. How did it begin? The Spirit immediately, the verse 12, drove him out into the wilderness. And as he was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Seems odd, doesn't it? Why didn't he begun his ministry? Shouldn't he have like, maybe gone to cleanse the temple first? Maybe fed 5,000 people first? Why did he go into the desert? Do you remember this verse from Ephesians? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think that's what's happening here, simply put. Jesus took the fight straight to the devil. And it was a sore trial. Forty days of fasting um, would be difficult for anyone. But the spiritual, dif uh, the spiritual victory was never in doubt. And the wilderness story shows us that Jesus was master over everything that Satan could throw at him. The victory was already at hand. The other thing Jesus did out there was give us an example of how we are going to handle our spiritual battles. One commentary called this wilderness experience a pledge and a foretaste of the triumphs in reserve for all who trust in His grace and follow His example. And so how did, how did Jesus actually do that? How did Jesus contend with the devil when He were out there? We don't see it in Mark's Gospels. But we've seen it in the other Gospels. Do you remember? What did Jesus do when He was tempted? He went to the Bible. Jesus knew His Bible. That's kind of a duh statement. Well, didn't he help write it? Well, but the man Jesus knew his Bible. He had studied it. He had been a Bible student. A good one. <clears throat> one of the things I so appreciate about Pastor Rick, um, and uh, I mean, I think you all know, he was, he was our associate pastor at Heartland. So we've had quite a long, quite a long fellowship together because um, I've been on session for many, many years as well. One of the things I always liked about Pastor Rick, it didn't really matter what the difficulty was, what the sticky problem was. It didn't matter whether it was in session and, you know, it was something we couldn't, you know, secret, we couldn't talk about it, um, or whether it was something that was public. He always, always would ask, 
how does Scripture guide us here? How does Scripture guide us here? And he was, was and is good at that, isn't he? Um, I'm still learning. But let me encourage you to learn as well. Become a good Bible student. Um, one of my favorite pastors is Alistair Begg. He's up in, I think, Cleveland. Um, and he said in one sermon, we have a habit in, in Christendom, and it's particularly evangelical Christianity, we read big, book, big bits of all kinds of books and little bits of the Bible, just a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there. And he said, no, let's read big bits of the Bible and little bits of everything else. I think that's great advice. Um, so I would encourage you, become a Bible. If you're not already a Bible student, become a Bible student. Uh, figure out how you're going to read it. Get yourself a notebook. Get yourself, my lovely wife has a journaling Bible. You know what that is? It actually gives you places to write notes as you're reading. Um, fantastic study tool. Fantastic study tool to help you not just read, but understand what God's Word is saying. And let it sink deep roots into you. Okay, um, well, verses 14 and 15 conclude our time in the Scriptures. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the same time, and John said it uh, in another one of the gospels. He said, He, that being Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. John's proclamation is now over. He's in prison, and as we know, if we read ahead, he won't get out. Um... And the time of Jesus' ministry has begun. Now, Jesus' words here are similar to John's, but they're different. How are they different? Look back at the text. How are Jesus' words different from John's? Pregnant pause while I take a sip. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. It is at hand. John told you it was coming. Now it's here. Do you, do you feel the sense of urgency? Jesus is saying, the time has come. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. He wrote these words, now I, tell you, or now I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. My dear wife bought me a subscription to Sirius XM for my car <coughs> a couple of years ago, which I do not recommend. Uh, because there are hundreds of channels and you can surf them while you're driving which is not a good idea um, but I found the Billy Graham channel channel 54 I think. Um, and I, I've always loved listening to the Billy Graham and um, you know Billy Graham preached the gospel I've forgotten over how many years but to 215 million people across the planet 185 countries and territories um, and, and we could, you know, well, his message was a little light or whatever, but, but Billy preached the gospel. He was never ashamed to preach the pure gospel. He didn't embellish it. That wasn't his style. But one thing he always had in there, um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and the time is now. He always left his audiences, now is the time. Don't wait. Now is the time. And that message is now ours. Now is So in closing, each one of us here today has, and, and those of you who may be online, you have one of two opportunities in front of you. 
If you've never come to the realization that you're an offense to the Almighty God, if you've never heard the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to give His life and die in our place, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I'd love to talk to you about that further. Or Pastor Rick when he comes back. If you have trusted Christ, if you're a brother or sister, He has called you and you're His. Remember His words on the day the night before He was betrayed. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I take that back. That's actually after He rose from the dead. You know, the title of this sermon was The Jesus Who Walks in Our Shoes. And I, I don't really know uh, how Brad is going to unpack that. Um, but it reminded me of these words in a sermon by John Piper. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I learned your language. I took your culture. I died your death. So I'm sending you because I mean to have a people there. So where is God sending you? Maybe He'll call you into the mission field. Challenging our people at Heartland with the same thing. Or maybe He'll just call you to go across the street and talk to your neighbor. Will you go? Will I go? Let's pray as we close. Lord, whatever words, whatever parts of this proclamation of your holy word were true and pleasing to you, let them sink deep roots in our hearts and grow. Give us a heart for the lost. Help us remember the joy of when we first believed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Give us a desire to share that joy with the world. But if any part of this proclamation has not been faithful to your word, Lord, Please burn away that dross. May those words fade from our memories and be forgotten. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.